Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Acts 20, verses 1 through 12, part 2. We are continuing last week's sermon that I entitled Four Fundamentals of Christian Encouragement, but I only shared with you the first two fundamentals that we find in this passage. The first is this, that we need to consistently hear God's Word together. We need to consistently be marinating in the Scriptures. And secondly, uh, we need to be connected with other believers in the work of ministry. God did not save us to be islands, but to be in community on mission together. And by virtue of your presence here today, you're at least in some measure saying, I I recognize that, that we need one another. And we're going to learn more about that today. Uh, We're going to dive in at verse 5 of Acts 20 and read down through verse 12. And then we'll, we'll tease out two more principles this morning of Christian encouragement. Would you hear with me the word of the Lord? These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed, and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted or encouraged. Same word. Would you pray with me? God, I ask with confidence in who you are, that we would leave today not a little encouraged, but a lot encouraged. Not a little comforted, but a lot comforted because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the the transformation that you've made in our hearts and our lives such that we could live together on mission. God, we give you praise for Christ. We give you praise for the good news of the gospel, for the opportunity to be called by your name. God, we didn't deserve any of it, but we thank you for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. When we dive back into this text, Paul and his traveling companions are working their way back through Macedonia because there's been a threat on Paul's life in Greece. So rather than sailing to Jerusalem, he's going to take the long way home by land back through Macedonia. And when he and his traveling companions, introduced in verses 4 and 5, when they reach Philippi, those traveling with Paul sail ahead of Paul to a a town called Troas. This is where we saw the Macedonian call earlier in Acts. And Paul remains in Philippi with Luke. You say, well, I don't see Luke's name in here. How do you know Luke is there? We know Luke is there because all of a sudden he starts to use the first person plural pronoun, we, again. He did this back in chapter 16, He gets to Philippi, and then we disappears, and now Paul's back in Philippi, and we see we again, and the we, presumably, is Paul 
and Luke. And we're going to see what are called the we passages in Luke all the way until Paul and Luke arrive in Jerusalem. And I, I like the we passages because you get like a, a first person, first hand account of what's going on. So when, when Paul and Luke reconnect in Philippi, he sends his, his traveling associates along except for apparently Luke And they stay in Philippi until after the days, verse 6, of unleavened bread. While the Bible never designates for us an Easter Sunday as a special day on the calendar for Christians to observe, one commentator suggests that this might be the origins of that practice. Because Easter falls during the days of unleavened bread, and perhaps Paul and Luke stay in Philippi to celebrate Easter with the Macedonians. We, we can't know for sure if that was their motivation, uh, but we do know this, that Paul delays leaving Philippi because he wants to spend time, as he has with the other churches, he wants to spend time with the church in Philippi. And that reality, this desire for community, leads us to the, our third point in our four-point sermon divided into two parts, all right? Here's the third point. To, we must regularly gather with other believers to be encouraged in the gospel. Th- there's no escaping the need for us to gather consistently to be encouraged as believers. When the book of Hebrews is written, after Acts, but when it is written, this principle of the need to physically gather together in the same space with the same people with which we have covenant community is crystallized in the book of Hebrews. In fact, it's crystallized as a command in Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25. Hebrews says this, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We're to think about that. Consider it ponder it. How are we going to stir one another up to love and good works because of Christ and for the sake of the gospel? And then here's the command. Not neglecting, or here's the how of the command. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Do you want to be encouraged in your marriage? Do you want to be encouraged in your parenting? Do you want to be encouraged in your work life, in a world that is set against Christ and Christ's people? How do you do it? You gather with Christ's people, week in and week out, regularly, consistently, face-to-face, physical presence with one another. God just does something through it that you can't replicate anywhere else. And, and here's the reality, church. All able-bodied members of the local church All able-bodied members of the local church. There there are some who can't be here who would love to be here. They they are dialed in on live stream because they can't get here any other way. They don't have the capacity to be here. But there are others who limped in, strolled in, used a walker to get in because this is where you know you need to be. All able-bodied members of the local church are commanded... It's not a suggestion, it's a command. Commanded to meet together as one family under one Lord for the purpose of encouragement on a consistent basis. You can't get away from it. And if you confess Christ as Lord, this is something that you will be about. There's something about the physical presence of 
image bearers of God gathered in one place that God uses to supernaturally work his encouragement into us. And you say, well, I don't understand how all that works. I don't either, but I trust God. And what God consistently says is you got to get together. Paul says it this way in Romans 15 verses 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement. Did you know that God, one of God's names, is the God of endurance and encouragement? How are you going to endure in the Christian life? How are you going to be encouraged in the Christian life? God, praise God, He is the God of endurance and encouragement. Is that, that's good news. And then he goes on to say, may He do this. Listen, may He grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Listen closely to this. That together you may with one voice Glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many voices are we supposed to glorify God with? One voice. When? Together. That's why I love congregational singing. This is obedience to this command. Colossians chapter 3.16 says the same thing. The whole gathered church is to be singing and rehearsing the gospel to one another. Glorifying God and edifying one another. Church, because of Christ... We should not be satisfied to sit at home over live stream and gaze at God's glory from afar like the Israelites did when Moses met with God in the tabernacle and everybody else stayed at home and was like, oh, God's glory's over there. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? We've been saved into a greater reality than Moses and the Israelites ever knew. Where's the, you read this in the Old Testament about the pillar of, of cloud and, and of the fire and of the glory of God. The New Testament tells us we've been delivered to, to a knowledge of a greater glory through Christ that is manifest where his people gather. You're an image bearer. You've been redeemed by the gospel, transformed on the inside to know the presence of God. The glory of God is supremely manifest, not in an ornate sanctuary, but in the community of ordinary believers. Do we believe that? That right here is the glory of God. Fallen sinners who've been made into God's sanctuary through the sacrifice of His beloved Son. Church family, what we need this morning, as much as we need to hear the word preached, and we do, we also need to be a part of the church gathered. Not over live stream, not in a remote location, but live and in person with God's people where the word is proclaimed. This is God's recipe for Christian encouragement. The work of God among his gathered people simply cannot be replicated in total remotely. If someone sends you a wedding invitation, do you reply to them, hey, just send us the wedding video? Of course not. Why would we say that to Christ and His bride? Why would we do that with the body of Christ? When we were lost and dead in our sins, God did not send pixels on a screen. He sent the person of His Son to bleed and die for us. And to make us one physical presence where we're shaking hands and hugging and loving and hearing the voices and seeing the mouths open of the image bearer next to us. Not on a screen, but face to face. We need this encouragement. It is how God has purposed to help His church endure to the end. Technology, don't misunderstand me. It's a great tool 
if you're sick or you're homebound. But it is no substitute for the gathering of the church and entering the sanctuary of God's special presence that is known supremely among his gathered people. You say, well, I don't get all that out of Acts. Well, it's a command in Hebrews. It's clear and plain as the nose on your face. I'm not making something up. I'm not adding to the word. It's right there in God's word. But we don't have to wait to get to Hebrews to see this principle. Local churches have been gathering as one body, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, young and old, male and female, to to worship their one Lord from the beginning. In Philippi, Paul lingers to gather with believers, and then when he arrives in Troas, he stays for seven days, and on the first day of the week, you see that in verse 7? On the first day of the week, which is Sunday, he and Luke join the gathering of believers where they break bread And Paul does what Paul does. He preaches and teaches for a long time. We covered that last week. They break bread. There's some debate among Bible scholars as to the meaning of breaking bread. Some see it as a celebration of the Lord's Supper, while others point out that the phrase breaking bread was just a common phrase that meant to eat a meal together. And that seems to be what's happening in this text because Paul doesn't break bread until apparently after midnight, long after everybody else has broken bread. And yet, this breaking of bread does happen on the first day of the week, which indicates for us, as F.F. Bruce writes, that we can infer with reasonable certainty that Christians regularly came together for the worship of Christ on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. In other words, we're seeing this early principle in Scripture of Christians gathering on the day, Sunday, of Christ's resurrection. This is a a key text that leads us to conclude in our own statement of faith. You can find it on our website. Leads us to conclude this, and I quote, The first day of the week is the Lord's Day. It is a day of Christian institution for regular observance. It commemorates the resurrection of Christ from the dead, and should include exercises of worship and spiritual devotion, both public and private. The place for believers on Sunday is with the gathered church. So church, like the church in the New Testament, we gather on Sunday because it's the day that the Lord conquered the grave. Marita says this, by gathering on Sunday, we remind one another, listen to this, that the tomb is empty and the heavenly throne is occupied. The grave has been conquered. Our king is seated at the right hand of the Father. He has defeated death for us, and we worship him on the day that he did it. While we can't be certain that the church partook of the Lord's Supper or didn't take of the Lord's Supper on this specific occasion, we know from 1 Corinthians 11 that local churches often partook of the Lord's Supper as commanded by Christ, at least during some of their gatherings. And In just a few moments, we'll have the opportunity to share in the supper together today. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18. He tells us that the supper is to be eaten, listen to this, when we come together as the church. Have you ever seen that in 1 Corinthians before? That the Lord's Supper is not given to the individual believer to be enjoyed individually, but it is to be enjoyed when we come together as the church. Why is this? The supper is a family meal. 
The supper is to be enjoyed as one family because we are all united in partaking of the same Jesus. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance, a command given by Christ to the church to be enjoyed as the church. As together we remember His death, we proclaim our dependence upon Him, and we express our thankfulness to Him for making us new and making us one as we resolve to serve Him with joy and in unity until He comes. So in this text, while we aren't necessarily reading about the Lord's Supper, we do see that the church has gathered to eat together and learn God's Word together. And in other texts, we read of other things included in our worship together, right? We read about prayers, we read about the reading of Scripture, of giving, and of singing a a variety of music, among other things that are a part of God's way of encouraging His people when we gather So church, if we neglect the physical gathering of the church to worship our King, we are missing out on one of the most vital and life-sustaining ways He encourages us. When I look around on Sunday and I see that someone's missing in one week, I think, well, maybe they were sick or on vacation. But if if I see you've been gone two weeks, my heart starts to grieve and wonder what's going on. And then we get to three weeks or four weeks or five weeks, I get really concerned Because we need to be together to be encouraged. Church, if COVID taught us anything, and I think it's still teaching us this, it taught us that isolation is more deadly than a pandemic. Our world is lonely. People are floundering around without meaning and without purpose. They have no mission Where do you find meaning and purpose and mission and identity and community? Do you not find all of those things in Christ? Has Christ not supplied all of those things for us in the gospel and in himself? We have those things in Christ. We don't have to be lonely. We don't have to be purposeless. We don't have to not have a mission. It is right here and we have a world that is lost and dying and lonely to reach. And we reflect for them the community that God creates as we gather as one people and gather we must we must gather with our church for as long as we are physically able and we will be encouraged thereby secondly or fourthly if you were here last week we must be reminded of the resurrection we must be reminded of the resurrection we see this in verses 8 through 12 it's it's great to do theology it's great to talk about the deep things of god It's wonderful to go deep in the scriptures, but at the end of the day, did y'all know we've got some good news? Jesus conquered the grave. I mean, that's what it comes down to, right? We, We do need to go deep in the things of God. We need to work out our faith. We need to understand our faith. But sometimes we get so wrapped up in the logistics of defending the faith, arguing the faith, understanding the faith, we we forget, hey, Jesus uh he ran out of that grave. And everybody who trusts in Jesus will run out of that grave as well. Why do we need to be reminded of that? Did you know life and ministry are hard? Anybody else? Anybody else ever feel that? Anybody had a hard week this week? Surely in a room this size, probably 50% or more of you had a hard week. Some of you said, I had a hard morning. I barely made it. Hard is our reality in this present life. There's almost never a week that goes by in our church that someone isn't faced with another crisis or a diagnosis or a death in their family or is just plain worn out and tired. It happens. And what do, what do we need to know in those moments? We need to know that Christ has conquered the grave. And so 
Guys, we're not the only one immune to this, right? The people in Troas, they had hard lives as well. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have app notifications. They walked everywhere they went. You talk about a hard life. They had a hard life. And so into the reality of hard, what does God provide? He provides a sleepy teenager to wake us up. I love this story of Eutychus. In verse 8, the church has gathered in an upper room where there are many lamps. Did y'all know they weren't electric lamps? Right? They weren't just plugged into the wall, right? So what kind of lamps? These are oil lamps with some nice fumes going in the upper room. There's no story above them. And so Luke is setting the stage for a story of a very sleepy teenager at a marathon preaching session where there are sleep-inducing emissions. And in verse 9, we meet Young Eutychus, he was probably in the youth group. He's probably the leader of the youth group. You know, he's there, he's going to stick it out. I'm going to be here the whole time for Paul. I'm going to make it. Do y'all know teenagers need extra sleep? They, they do. And, and Eutychus is there, and his name, the name Eutychus means fortunate. But he is not having any luck fighting off sleep. The, the fumes of the lamps and the, the length of Paul's message and the lateness of the hour catching up with young Eutychus. And perhaps at some point to get to the window, maybe he actually moves himself to the window to get some fresh air. We, we don't know. But as he sits at the window, he sank into a deep sleep, the text tells us. It's not a great translation. Really what Luke is describing here is not that he's asleep yet, but that he's fighting off sleep. He's describing the sensation of dropping into sleep and struggling to resist it. Some of you are there right now. You're like, oh man, I'm trying, man. He's talking about sleep. Anybody ever do this in school? Like for me, the teacher's just, I'm like, uh, and then the pencil falls. That's what Eutychus is doing, right? He's in this cycle of trying not to fall asleep and he loses. He can't fight it. His resistance quickly fades and then we read this, being overcome by sleep, meaning sleep eventually won. And he fell down from the third story, which would have been our modern day second floor, and he was taken up dead. In other words, he fell a good long way. He took a serious fall, leading to his death. You say, what in the world is this about? Praise God. What happens? Paul goes down. Do you remember the last time we read a story in the Gospels about some disciples of Jesus gathered in an upper room enjoying a meal together? And soon somebody dies, and his name is Jesus. But on the third day... He emerges from the grave, and now we've got some disciples gathering in an upper room, breaking some bread together, and a young man who's trying his best to stay awake and listen to Paul, he falls out of a window and dies. It's calamity. It's crisis. What are we going to do? But Paul runs down the steps like Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament. He throws himself on the young man, and he takes him up in his arms, and he declares that this one who had been taken up dead now lives. Why in the world does this happen? Because church, we need to be reminded that God still raises the dead. We need to be reminded that though we will die physically, if the Lord tarries, for those who confess their faith in Christ, He doesn't just raise us up on the inside, but one day He will truly raise us up physically. Paul raises young Eutychus not because he was fortunate 
but to remind us that Christ is faithful and that all who belong to him will be raised. Eutychus fell asleep, and one day, if the Lord tarries, we will all fall asleep. But, pray, but praise God, God never sleeps. In Psalm 121, verse 4, it says this, He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So what is the basis of our encouragement this morning? It is this, not our circumstances, but Christ. It is not the It's not our strength, but it is the nature and character of the God we serve who has called us up into His salvation. Church, we serve a God who is in need of nothing, and yet He came down to give us everything. To take our sin, to substitute Himself on the cross and pay the penalty of death, and then swallow it whole for all who trust in Him. And beloved, that is really good news. And look what happens to a church where the dead are raised. Do you see it in verse 12? The church was not a little comforted. Do you need comfort this morning? Do you need encouragement this morning? Let me remind you, Jesus conquered the grave. Yes, they were encouraged by Paul's teaching. Yes, they were encouraged by their time together, and by the but also by the powerful reminder of this truth, death does not win for those who have died with Christ and been raised up to a whole new life. So this morning, church, I want to be sure you understand what we've witnessed. We've witnessed several new believers participate in baptism, symbolizing their union with Christ in His death and in His resurrection, saying that they have died to their old ways and their old self, and they've been raised up to follow Christ as Lord, knowing that one day He will raise them physically when He returns. The corruptible will put on incorruption, and they will be with Jesus forever. And I trust, church family, that in seeing this, you have been encouraged. My prayer, and I, I, I'm going to assume your prayer is this, that what we've witnessed today, we will witness again and again and again. People dying to self dying to sin and being raised up to a whole new way of seeing and living through faith in Jesus. Raised up to be a part of this local church, a family that is on mission, encouraged by our King to thrive for our King. How? Four ways. We hear the word of the Lord together. We serve our King together. We worship our King together. And we still see again and again and again more people raised to new life. This is God's recipe for our encouragement. May He find us faithful to pursue it, and I know He'll be faithful to supply it. Would you pray with me? Our God, our King, our Lord and Savior, as we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper, God, I pray that You would remind us God, remind us of the joy of the gospel. God, that the price of sin has been paid at the high cost of your son. And yet you were willing and pleased to supply it, that we might have salvation through his blood. God, I pray we would never get over that truth, that we would continue to to mind the depths of that truth. And God, that you would supply encouragement to our hearts even this morning as we are reminded of the cross and also of the empty tomb. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.